Hello and welcome to the Rambling Runner podcast. I'm your host, Matt Chittam, and this is the podcast for all the dedicated amateur runners out there who are working hard to get better while balancing running with the rest of their lives. And today in the podcast, we have Randy Orm. Randy is a woman who definitely balances running with the rest of her life. She has four kids under the age of 12 and so despite that, and maybe even sometimes because of that, as you'll hear in this in this episode from a motivation standpoint, she is able to accomplish amazing things as a runner. So she's an Ironman finisher. She has won an ultra marathon. She uh, has run a 313 marathon. She has just gone up and down all sorts of mountains. She is a certified mountain goat, a trail running extraordinaire. And while she has been blessed with, uh, with definitely she's been blessed with running genes, that's for sure. You'll hear in this episode uh, that she was really good at running right from the jump. As, as privileged as she is in that regard, it's her energy and enthusiasm which really sets her apart. And I've gotten to know her uh, for a little bit of time uh, via social media, and it's so obvious when you get to know her that you know, just her success in life stems from her energy and enthusiasm in all things. And I hope that comes across in the podcast because I really had a blast talking with her. She's a wonderful, wonderful person and an extraordinary athlete. So thank you so much for downloading this. I think you will love it. Um, I would suggest you follow her. You know, so the, the, the Instagram handle for her is in my show notes, but it's run underscore Randy. That's R-H-A-N-D-I underscore run. Uh, she is a fantastic follow, uh, an awesome person, and I can't wait for you to listen to this episode with Randy Orm. Hello, Randy, and welcome to the Rambling Runner podcast. Hi, Matt. Happy to be with you tonight. Likewise, thank you so much for coming on. I really appreciate it. My pleasure. Looking so forward to it. <laughs> and you're 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 straight up doing the mom thing right now. You got the you got the kids downstairs. You're upstairs recording the podcast. You know, this is just uh this is just normal territory for you though. You're I feel like you're always busy. <laughs> yep, this is pretty much how it rolls. Kids are downstairs doing homework, writing out their Valentines, and they have been instructed to please <laughs> let mom be for a little bit until until my husband gets home from work so yep we're good I love it so you're you're a mom of four and what are the ages of the kids okay yes yeah, so I uh, my oldest is 11 and then nine and then I have a six-year-old little girl that's my token girl and then my youngest is four got it so so not a very busy household Oh, no, not at all. No, no. Things are pretty calm around here. <laughs> and you you are one of the most energetic people I've ever seen. Has that, did that trait get passed along to your kids? Um, That's a good question. I would say to varying degrees and levels. Um, my husband is pretty chill, so he balances me out. So I would say yes, but I don't – maybe my oldest takes the cake on me, but everybody else is, is kind of in – in the middle, but yeah, we've definitely got an energetic household. <laughs> oh, that's great. That's wonderful. So if we, if we hear anything you know, crashing or breaking in the background, we, we know what it is. <laughs> yes, yes. Luckily, that doesn't happen too often. Actually, that would be, I would be probably the one to crash or break something. So <laughs> I don't so believe I it. I don't believe that at all, Randy, because you put out a video 
right before you ran the Sean O'Brien 50 miler a couple weeks ago. And I, I must have watched that darn video like 25 times because it was the, the dancing unicorn video. Please, for the listeners who haven't seen that, please describe what that was and why it was up there. Okay. Well, first of all, I have no shame. Part of me is embarrassed. And I would say 90% of me really, really doesn't care. Um, I've got a goofy side. So what, what Matt's referring to is I have a unicorn onesie. And really, it's practical. I wear it before races because race mornings are typically chilly, especially um, like trail runs if you're up in the mountains or somewhere. So I, um, about a year ago, put on this costume. I love to dance. I danced for 20 years. I, you know, I've got a, I've done a, a little bit of everything and I did a lot of hip hop and somehow the unicorn and me just, we dance. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And um, it's, I had a really great race after the first time I did it. I won a half, um, a trail half marathon, had an awesome race, and I just kind of made the joke, it's the dancing unicorn. It was the unicorn. So now I've just kind of started doing it before I trail race. <laughs> so do you do it at the starting line, or what's, what's the actual tradition? Like, how does, it, how does it work? And also, you didn't mention, you said it was a onesie. It's not just a onesie. There's also a hood. With the yes. horn on the hood. Yes, yes. So it's this whole, you know, you could buy one on Amazon for like 30 bucks. I mean, we all could all could have matching unicorn onesies with hoods. Um, but I guess... Well, well we, have one, we have one over here in the Rambling Runner household. I'm oh, not going to lie to you. My daughter dressed up as an alicorn, which she would be happy for me to be able to explain that that's a unicorn that can fly. My daughter's five years old and she loves rarity. So she went as rarity for Halloween. So we actually have her doing the same unicorn type dance, but she did it on Halloween. So maybe I'll post that in accordance with this podcast, just so we're all in unison here. Oh yeah, you absolutely should. I'm sure she was much cuter than me. Um, but yeah, no, I just, at races, I don't do anything crazy. I just, I honestly, I kind of get into game mode, um, especially at a trail race. I mean, I'm happy, but I'm a little more serious and I'm not wild and calm before the race. I kind of just um, zone in a little. So I just wear it in the morning to stay warm because I typically, even on cold mornings, I'll still race in shorts and a tank top. That's where I'm most comfortable. So it's practical in the morning, but usually the day before um, is um, is when I have fun in it. And it's just silly. I honestly just pick a song and make my sweet husband record me just being a complete, you know, fool. And I just dance. I don't do multiple takes. I don't, you know, practice. I just put on the unicorn and have fun. <laughs> I loved it because you say you don't practice and, and I believe I really you, don't, I promise. But, but, but you can tell that you have some dance experience, Randy, because I was in <laughs> awe of the moves. Like it was obviously like intended to be goofy and foolish, but like right. you were coordinated, man. Like I can go do a foolish dance, but that's like, you know, I'm, I'm unintentionally doing it. You know what I mean? You were intentionally doing it. So you, said, what, what, you mentioned before you have a 20-year dance background. What does that entail? Yeah. And so I, I started dancing when I was three, and it just came to me very naturally. And I danced through college. I even danced professionally a little bit when I was 19. Um, and I have zero dance-like skills left. So don't let, don't let me fool you there. But, yeah, so basically a couple times a year – you know, I might prance around um, and I do really love to dance, but just being a mom in other areas of my life have, you know, ended up being, you know, naturally just kind of the progression of life. Dancing has, 
isn't, I don't do it anymore, but I did uh, for years. I taught like hip hop aerobics and like different fitness classes. I used to be Zumba certified. So for a while I kept my dancing going and then I just think it kind of naturally just faded out and, and I'm okay with that. I love it. And my daughter dances now and um, I'm okay just being like the dorky, goofy mom on occasion who dances. <laughs> so when did um, distance running come into your life? You know, um, I get asked that question a lot and I started running um, when I was young. I, I am one of those, you know, roll your eyes. I've always loved to run ever since I was a little girl. Um, and I, I remember in sixth grade, that's when we started running the timed mile. And we had like this longer course in PE that was almost two miles and I loved it. And I would beat, I loved that I'm, I'm competitive and I just, that's kind of who I am by nature. I, I like to win and I like to do, just do my best. Not necessarily always having to win, but so I loved that I would beat all the boys. I loved it. I would, I loved that there was always one girl who always beat me and it drove me nuts. But right then I realized, Hey, I like this. And you know, maybe I'm okay at it. And so I kind of just picked it up from there. I ran competitively in middle school and um, California doesn't have state, but I, I, I went all the way to like, I guess what you'd call like a semi-state and did really well. And, um, and I just kind of kept running. And for some reason in high school, I, uh, anyway, so I don't need to keep going. I'm such a mumbler. So I, this rambling runner, I am rambling Randy. So, <laughs> um, but yeah, so I picked it up from the time seventh grade on, I, this sounds strange, but I've gone running on my own, just out for runs really since then. I've just, I picked it up and I loved it and I've kind of always carried it with me, um, since. So you, as you mentioned, you're pretty competitive so you were competitive right from the jump, right? Sixth grade, seventh grade, you were really competitive. And you obviously love doing it for its own sake, too, because you've been doing it the whole time, right? You've been doing it almost your entire life. So right. at that early of an age, were you? did you race throughout? Like, you raced middle school, high school, in your 20s. Were you racing the whole time? No. Um, interestingly enough, so I raced in middle school. Did really well, loved it. We moved my eighth grade year in the middle of middle school up to a little town in Northern California. And I, my freshman year, I also played field hockey and soccer and I danced and I was in student government. And I just kind of, I remember track season rolled around and I was so excited for it all year and I was burnt out. And my mom was like, Randy, she kind of begged me, but we were kind of raised in a household where my mom really facilitated letting us make those decisions. So she didn't push me and I just was burnt out. So I strangely, I never ended up running in high school. And I, the PE coaches who coached cross country would always be really sweet about it and say, Hey, can you please, will you come run with us? I know you play field hockey, but come join us on the weekends. And I don't know. It was the weirdest thing. Cause I still love to run. I don't know if I was like afraid that I wouldn't do good or something because we were in a new place and I was just a girl, you know, but for some reason I, I ran all through high school and I played sports and I ran on my own, but I actually from, from eighth grade through the middle of college, I did not run a race. So then what changed? What changed in college? Um, my freshman year, I, um, had a little bit of a hard transition in college. Um, 
and I always kept running and I was a little just, I, I always got great grades in high school and I was struggling trying to just, I think kind of just normal college stuff. And so I was a little stressed out that I was getting C's on my exams and um, I was dancing and I was just, I was feeling a little overwhelmed at like all of, all of the talent and things around me. And, and I just, I was, a, I would call home and, you know, me missing my mom and my mom was always kind of just, you know, building me up. I had a little bit of a hard time that freshman year and I was surprised at that because I was like, oh, I'm going to love it. And I did like it. But anyways, long story short, I turned back to running and I just realized like that that balanced me back out. It made, you know, it gave me peace after a hard final and it gave me, it just kind of put me in a good place. Um, you know, at a time in my life for the first time where I was kind of experiencing a little bit of adulthood and feeling a little uncomfortable running, I felt brought out the best in me and, and really balanced me out. So I started running again my freshman year um, with the intention of maybe I should sign up for a race. Um, so I ran one race my freshman year. That's it, though. And it was a 5K. <laughs> and I had a blast. And I honestly don't even remember my time. I remember I placed in my age group. But this was back in like 2001 before there's not even any records. You can't find it on Athlinks. I've even looked for it. Um, so I just remember loving it though. I had never done a race. I raced, I did track in middle school. I did the 800 and the 400 and the mile. And I, I had never, you know, you just run with the people you run around a track or the people on your team. And I just was like, it was this euphoric experience for me to like run with, it's called the Rex Lee run at Brigham Young University. And so if anyone out there is listening, it's a pretty big race. And so I don't know, there were thousands of runners and I just thought, wow, this is the coolest thing. So that's kind of what clicked back. Although it took me a long time to really get racing a lot, that was like that first initial, like, I love this and I, and I want to do more of it. Now, did you go to Brigham Young? I did. Yep. That's okay. my alma mater. Now, is that, was it a pretty active campus? Like when you were running up there, obviously it's just a beautiful, it's, it's one of, if not the most beautiful campuses in America um especially for someone like you who loves trail running it seems like it would yeah. be an ideal fit so when you were up there running was this more of a solo venture or did you have a couple couple guys or girls that you would run with yeah that's a really good question i would say it was a combination of both like being a busy college student and being involved in a lot of different things i ran when i could and yeah i grew up in northern california up in the mountains so the trails are home to me i've my dad has taken me on them literally since I was a toddler. So I'm just very comfortable and at home in the mountains and on the trails. So, um, and again, so it made sense at BYU, like you said, it is one of the most gorgeous campuses. So I definitely got college roommates running with me. Um, that's one of my favorite things to do is to people tell me they hate to run. And I'm like, Oh no, you don't just, just come on a couple of runs with me. I promise you I'll help you change your mind. So I definitely was always recruiting friends and roommates to come and run with me. So I would say it was a good amount of both. Okay. And looking at your running history now, you know, you've done, you know, just athletically, you've done an Ironman, you're an ultra marathoner, you've, you know, a 313 marathon PR, a 128 half marathon PR. At what point in your life did you transition from, hey, I like to run because it balances my life and maybe I'll have a little bit of comp competition here to all mm -hmm. of a sudden it switches to like, hey, this is like, you know, 
the one thing that I can do for myself. And when I'm not dealing with, you know, work or family or whatever, like this is the main part of my life. Yeah. That's a really good question, Matt. I, I don't know that I have a a good answer. I kind of feel like this is going to sound corny and I am corny by nature, but I kind of feel like it's always been a part of me because like I said, even all those years that I wasn't racing, I was running Mm -hmm. and I, on my sports team, I guess I got a chance to shine as a runner, even in other sports. I've never been like crazy athletic with ball sports, like soccer and field hockey, but I played them and I started and it was always just because I could run fast. It was like, well, Randy can get to the ball first, then she'll pass it to someone who knows what they're doing. So like, (laughs) even in little like bits, it's always kind of like been to varying degrees. It's definitely always been a, um, played a significant role in my life. Oh, that's great. That's great. So, all right. So you're at BYU, you're having a great time. You're you know, getting back into running from a competition standpoint after, you know, it just being kind of like a, a part of the running that you were doing for other yeah. sports. And yeah. then when was, you know, I guess after age 20, yeah. when do you look at a race performance and say, Hey, this is the one that kind of like switched me into like a racer. Oh yeah. That's a, that's a great question. And I, and I think I have an answer for you. So I don't even know if my husband's heard this story. My sophomore year of college, there was this boy in one of my classes I totally had a crush on and he kept talking about how he was going to run the St. George marathon. And I was like, I, I had already made our marathons were on my radar probably from my freshman year. And I was just like, and I thought, yeah, I'm going to, I want to, I want to register. He let me know. I didn't know that there was like a lottery and I didn't real, I did not understand the marathon running world at all. I just knew I loved to run. And so there was a 10 mile race um, up in Provo Canyon that he said he was going to do. And I was like, Oh, that sounds perfect. Cause he, people were asking me, well, what's your goal? And I'm like, I don't know. I just know I run and I like to run, you know, and I think I'm kind of fast for an average Joe Schmo, but nothing, you know, too special. So I decided to do this 10 mile race and I didn't ever follow any running plans. Just, you know, some days I ran short and fast. Some days I ran long and slow. And, you know, sometimes I, I, you know, did something in the middle, but, um, so I went and did this 10 mile race down Provo Canyon. And again, I don't remember my time, but I know in the 10 mile race, I know I was like, I know my averages were in like the six forties and if this was a, but this was a downhill course. You have to remember that. So I, I definitely had that going for me, but whatever it was, the only women that beat me were the girls from the BYU cross country team. And this friend of mine was like, Randy, do you know that that was like, you know, that was solid. Like how much are you running? And I was like, I don't know, like three days a week, you know, I just run when I can. And he, and, and then I started kind of researching and I was studying exercise science in school. So, you know, I, so I started doing a little more research and a little more, and I'm like, you know what, that wasn't even really that bad. Maybe we've got something here. And so I think at that point, because you said that, was there like a race or a moment, I would say that kind of like little, little more fire in me, like, all right, it's time to maybe see what I can do and maybe decide I want to run a marathon now because it was always like, I knew I wanted to do it, but I never knew when I just thought, yeah, I'll do that someday. Now, why was there such an early attraction to the marathon? It doesn't seem like something that would be a natural thing for somebody who like didn't run cross country in high school or, mm-hmm. you know, I mean, were, mm-hmm. were your, were your parents big runners? Like what about the marathon itself has had was like had this gravity around it? Um, 
That's a, that um, is a good question. And I keep telling you that, but you're making me think here. <laughs> you're making me think, Matt. Um, I think a few things come to mind in regards to that. Um, one thing is that I was raised in a household where I would say we did a lot of endurance activities as a family, very outdoorsy. My dad is the ultimate mountain man. And so for me, it made sense to like, okay, if we're going to go hike all day long or we're going to go mountain bike all day long, why not go run for a long time? It just kind of made sense to me. Like, and I loved running that much that it kind of married two things that I loved. Um, we've always been like, like I said, a physically active family. So I was raised, um, go kind of doing challenging things athletically for lack of a better way to put it. Like let's go cliff jumping and let's go downhill skiing. And, and Randy, I think you're ready for a black diamond. You're, you know, you're eight years old, you know, just my parents were a little bit, um, we were an adventurous family, I'll say. And so I think maybe the spirit of adventure and endurance. And then with my love of running, I just, I don't know. It just made sense to me. And then Provo, like you asked before, is it an active community? It's an extremely active community. And so I think I heard people talking about St. George Marathon enough to where it intrigued me. And um, I thought, yeah, let's, let's go ahead and register. So I was like 19 and I registered for St. George Marathon. I don't even think I told anyone. I just thought, well, that sounds good. I'll take the $40 in my bank account or however much it was back then. But I'm sure I spent probably the rest of my grocery money on registering for a marathon that was five hours away. <laughs> That's see, that, it's funny how often the St. George Marathon comes up in my life now. I feel like a year ago I had never heard of it. And I hear oh, no about way. it so often now. It, oh, it, it, must, it must be very popular in that area because I swear to God, I, whether I'm talking to – Amber Schreiner or, or, or uh -huh. a whole host of other people. I feel like it does come up a lot. Yeah, it, it might. I would say that it's definitely on the West Coast. Um, you know, we just lived back in the Midwest, almost to the East for six years, and nobody knew what it was. But I would definitely say if you're California, Arizona, Utah, Idaho, kind of West Coast runner, and you've run enough, you probably, it might be on your bucket list, and you probably know someone who's run it. So you mentioned how you were raised as a kid. Now yeah. you have a, you have a family of your own, as we as we already mentioned. Do right. you kind of take the same approach with your with your kids? Um, I definitely think I do. Maybe not quite as much. We have a bigger family, and so um, and I'm by nature a little bit more of a worry wart than my mom was. I try really hard to like channel my inner Rhonda because I feel like she helped facilitate some great experiences for my sister and I, because she was willing to let us like take risks. Um, but I, I definitely, in regards to the, you know, athletic side of things, I've coached youth cross country, not this year, cause we just moved, but for the past three years and both my boys have gone to nationals. And, and so like in that regards, we're definitely very much, if they like running and they want to try it and do something, or they want to go, um, you know, hiking and be active with us. We're definitely, um, we're definitely all about being active and outdoorsy as a family and encouraging our kids if they have athletic goals, I suppose. And you've done a whole bunch of things. So you've done, as I mentioned before, the whole, a bunch of different running races and you've done the Ironman, you've done a Tough Mudder. You actually won a Tough Mudder a few years you, ago. Yeah. You know, it's interesting. So I have to be careful when I, yes, I did. But it was before, so Tough Mudder is a little bit different than like Spartan. 
So because until about a year ago, they didn't, um, they didn't, you didn't wear a chip. Does that make sense? Mm -hmm. I mean, I crossed the finish line as the winner and the, someone from the newspaper came and said hi to me and it was, you know, great and all, but yeah, I don't think there's ever like a record of that, but I did. And, um, I did win it and I got really into OCR for about a year, (laughs) a couple years ago and I love it. And, um, you know, I look forward at some point to getting back into that, but um, but yeah, that was, I really, um, I really enjoyed doing, uh, Tough Mudder and World's Toughest Mudder and they're a unique, really cool group of people. So it was really fun to get to know that community and to, um, kind of compete in that arena. Now I mentioned at the beginning of the podcast that you are one of, if not the most energetic people I've ever seen in my life. And I feel like this <laughs> Tough Mudder was like example A for evidence of this because when you cross the finish line not only did you win this sucker but you did a hundred burpees when you crossed the finish line <laughs> that was yes that was a little it as a training race for world's toughest mutter which is a 24-hour event and so me and my husband had this grand idea that we would do do the race in Kentucky as fast as we could and then we just come back through the finish line and, and keep training Does that make sense? Kind of like, um, so yeah, we did our burpee, we did our hundred burpees and then we went back out to do a second lap on the course, another course. Does that make sense? Like to do the Tough Mudder again. I mean, I mean, mean, uh, yes. I mean, like academically, yes, it makes sense. I understand the words that are coming out of your mouth, but mentally and emotionally, no, it doesn't make any sense whatsoever. It sounds, it sounds, it sounds absolutely insane. (laughs) It sounds insane. Yes. Well, I am lucky enough that I found a crazy man who gets my crazy. So I guess it never really sounded crazy to me. It just sounded like, you know, a good way to good way to prep for, for another race. That's amazing. Sorry. Right, so so tell me about this this twenty four hour OCR. Now how do you even train for something like that? Yeah, that's a um we um so world's toughest mutter it back this was the second year only it's i guess it's considered the tough mutter world championship or something it was in new jersey in november um so we trained all through the cold kind of fall and winter in um indiana but yeah we did a lot of we would go out to brown county state park this really great state park about 20 minutes away and we would kind of similar to ultra marathon training but we would do it at night with headlamps and then every mile our watch would beep and we would stop and maybe do like a hundred burpees and 50 push-ups or jump squats. And, um, or sometimes we jump into the lake just because that's what you have to do. Um, but this was, this was in the winter. You're jumping in the lake in the winter. Yes. In Indiana. Well, I guess technically it's the fall, right? Cause this is October. But in Indiana at that time of year, it's, you know, and then at night it's, probably in the thirties, I would say. Yeah, that's accurate. Wow. That's amazing. So how'd the race go? Well, that's a, that's a good question. Um, I, unfortunately I had, I, I would still venture to say it's the most fit I've ever been in my life. Um, strongest speed wise, as well as strength wise. And I, um, I trained very hard, probably again, the most dedicated I've been, uh, And I came down about two weeks before the race, maybe even only 10 days out. 
I contracted this really strange stomach virus. Um, we, I got all my blood work done. We couldn't figure out what was wrong with me. But at the end of the day, I couldn't hold any food down without me being too graphic. Mm. So I lost about um, seven or eight pounds in a week. And it was the week before the race. Um, so I had spent so much time and effort training for it. And my husband trained for it as well. We did this together. This was like, um, and we had young kids and we just, we, we, there were a lot of late nights training in our garage after our little ones went to bed. We had put so much into it. Um, I decided to race anyways. Um, my doctor was a little bit like iffy. She's like, you know, you're really weak. But, um, the night before the race, I held down my first meal, <laughs> Oh my. <laughs> and um I said to heck with it, I am racing. And so um it's a 24 hour the, the format is you do as many laps as you can in 24 hours. So um this I knew about a mile into the race there was just nothing in my tank. It was you know when you're just scraping for fumes on certain runs or race that feeling of knowing you have nothing left to give that was me like a mile in and I just I looked at my husband and gave him this look and I said please please because he had worked so hard I said just go on without me I will do what I can and he let he refused to leave me which you know um was very uh noble and kind of him and so I did three laps I ended up getting 20th place overall female so I did 33 miles plus all the obstacles. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Um, right, hold on, hold on a second. <laughs> you just skipped over a whole lot right there. Yeah. Right. I'm well, in the first mile. So I'm the first mile like and I'm going to quit. Like, all right, first mile, yeah. I'm going to quit. No, just kidding. Yeah. I'm going to run 33 miles over a series of obstacles and come in 20th place. Yes. Yes. I just, I had put too much into it and that's where it's just mind over matter. And we all know that as athletes, sometimes you just have to tell your body to shut up. And you're like, I know the muscle memory is there. I know I might not be able to do what I ultimately could do healthy, but I can do something. And I came a long way and I spent a lot of time and a lot of money and a lot of effort. And my husband and I kind of dreamed up this scenario together. We really bonded over this and it was, we were, our big plan was to race the whole night together before I got sick. So, um, I lap one actually went pretty well. Um, lap two, we slowed down a little bit and lap three was a joke. It started getting dangerous. At this point it was dark. We're going through water obstacles. It's like 30 degrees in New Jersey. Things are freezing. And I was starting to slip like climbing, I, I, my strength was just weak. And so after the third lap, I literally begged my husband. He was so strong and so ready to keep going. And I said, please, 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 will you just go on without me? So reluctantly he did. And I stopped at lap three um, and shivered in my wetsuit all night long in the um, athlete pit. <laughs> so I could, um, I was kind of waiting to see if I'd get a second wind and a second wind never came. So I uh, just kind of hung out in the athlete pit. And I thought maybe when first light came up, I think the race started at 10 AM. So I was hanging on to the hope that if I changed into a fresh wetsuit and fresh socks and got some warm food in me, that I could maybe go back out for a fourth lap at like, you know, as soon as the sun came up. But I just, by then I had shivered all night in our tent and I just, I was over it. <laughs> and my husband ended up running six or seven laps. And actually, ironically, getting 20th place for the men. Wow. 
And so I just ended up cheering my husband on all night. So when, so because I didn't technically bow out of the race, I could see him every time he came through for another lap. And so I could like give him a kiss because you weren't allowed to have outside help, but we were both racing. So it was kosher, if that makes sense. So, you know, I could give him a slap on the butt and a kiss and tell him to keep going. <laughs> that is great. And you bring up a good point about the mental aspect of these sorts of challenges. Yeah. And I, I, there's a great line in the book from uh, Alex Hutchinson that just came out last week called endure. And he talks a lot about um, this sort of thing. And, it's almost kind of like a how bad do you want it 2.0 in a way uh, for people who are Matt Fitzgerald fans. And um, he has a great line early in the book. He said, just because something's in your head, even if you know it's in your head, doesn't mean it's easy to get over or it's easy to deal with. Like just by knowing that fact doesn't necessarily make that obstacle any easier. So with that quote Absolutely. in mind – for you, would you have those challenges in a race, not just, you know, these tough mutters, but any of the races that right. you've done when you've had those right. challenges, what are some of the techniques that you use to pull yourself out? <clears throat> yeah, there's definitely the mental aspect for me of racing is huge. And, um, I think actually that's where I, I have a bit of an upper hand. Um, because I think, uh, when you can zone in and kind of pull from different places, you get, it's, you know, it's that intangible boost that you get, you know, it's, it's hard to put into words, but somehow you muster up, you go to that dark place and you scrape up what you've, whatever you can and you, and you move forward. And, um, I, I would say there's different techniques I've used at different times. Um, it's, am I being competitive? Am I being emotional? Like kind of where am I going in that particular moment or in that particular race. But one thing, you know, that I go back to over and over again is really just my family because, um, you know, to be a mom of four and, um, be able to do what I do, like the whole family is invested in the process and they're the ones that are kissing me in the morning and saying, good luck on your long run, mommy. And I run through the door and they give me a big sweaty kiss and they ask me how it went. And, they're the first ones to say, mom, are you going to do another Ironman or, or mom, when's your next big race or, or what are you trying to do? Mom, you could win that race. You know, I mean, it's amazing. And it could make me just emotional as I talk on the phone with you. And so sometimes like, for instance, I, right before I had this great 50 miler last weekend, I had a really hard race at California International Marathon in December. And I remember in the middle of the race, I think that's the most I've ever wanted to quit, which is funny because I was healthy and I was ready, but I was just feeling a little bit like, since we're on the mental aspect, a little bit mentally weak. Like I just didn't feel like being uncomfortable at that moment. You know, I just was like kind of over it. And I just, I think about my family and I'm like, I just sorry about that. It's That's just right. almost, sorry, I'm struggling here to kind of put this into context, but I guess it's like, I don't want it to all be for nothing. I don't want the sacrifices that I've made, the sacrifices that they've made, the hard work and the effort and the love and the passion that has gone into this. Like, I'm not going to blow it now. So it's like, gird up your loins and figure out how to get it done, Randy. You know, like, I don't want to tell my kids that, I quit because it was hard. Like, what kind of life lesson is that? You know, like when the going gets tough, we get going and we make it happen. 
And um, so I definitely think I kind of go to my family and I want to, you know, I want to, I want to show my kids that they can do hard things. And so I, I think I kind of go there more than anywhere else. That's probably my number one little motivator. Well, big motivator, not little motivator. Yeah. That's, I love that point. That, that really, uh, that really hits home. And as you said, especially for somebody who has a family, you know, you, the whole family is invested with these kinds of sports because they are so time intensive. Uh, so I think anyone who, who runs marathons or, or does ultras or anything that's you know, a triathlete, especially, mm-hmm. my goodness, there's yeah. so much time that's involved in that sport. Um, sure you know, it, it, does, it does, it does take, a, does take a village with that sort of thing. So yeah. I can see, definitely see where you come, where you're coming from with it. And then on along those same lines, yeah. What's the biggest hurdle or challenge you've ever overcome in a race? Biggest hurdle or challenge I've ever overcome. Okay. I'm going through my mind's going through races right now. Has it been in a triathlon? Has it been in a trail or ultra? Has it been in a road race? Um, nothing is. Another way to think about it, I think, is another way to think about it is uh, is like to think, all right, what point, like, if you had, like, if you were going to say, say you're going to sit down and you're going to brag about your athletic career, what point <laughs> or what race are you are you most proud of in terms of not just your success, but your effort and your your ability to get the most out of yourself in that in that specific race? In that specific race. Gosh, I don't know. I mean, a few, I don't know that a particular, what's coming to my mind is like little flashes of moments, maybe during specific races where, um, where something has happened, um, rather than a particular race. I wish I had just like a quick little snap answer for you. The very first thing that came to my mind was actually my Ironman, um, because, and I'm going to preface and say, I don't recommend this to your average athlete, but I registered for my Ironman, I think seven weeks before it. Um, Hey now. Yeah. I don't know. (laughs) Um, Yeah. I mean, that's kind of bad to say like nobody get any crazy ideas, but on the same point, if you are a well-trained athlete with a high base of fitness and I would say triathlete, Um, You know, I had had ultra fitness through the summer and I'd been biking a little bit and swimming a little bit. And I thought, you know what? There's, there's no good time. Now's as good as any time. And my husband, it was just kind of this, I'd been thinking about it all year long and I'm like, you know what? It's never going to get any easier. Anyhow. So I would, the reason I thought of my Ironman um, was because even though my training was very short per se for like that specific race I um I zoned in and I got to work and I did have a couple of um and I and I did a 50k ultra I did a 50k trail race two weeks before my Ironman so a little bit a little bit of insanity and like I said that's why I said I don't necessarily recommend that to everyone but what I thought of when you said, you know, fighting through a hard moment. So the swim for me is very uncomfortable. I am naturally, I swim as slow as molasses. I just, I have no natural form or technique. I enjoy swimming. I always have, but I've never had any formal, you know, lessons or really advice or critique. Um, So 
on this and then open water swimming is also a little bit intimidating to me because I end up finishing kind of right in the middle of the pack. At least that's how my, my, my two half Ironman and my one full Ironman have been. So I feel like I end up with kind of the big, the big men that are, a lot of them are doing like the breaststroke. And so I'm always so intimidated because I feel like I end up in a bit of a washing machine. And, um, I had never gotten really hit that hard. And I remember before my Ironman before Louisville, I knew that the, the first kind of half mile was a very narrow channel. And I was so nervous before the race, like Randy, you might get, you might get clocked. You might get clocked. And I was trying to be positive. Anyways, I got the lights knocked out of me while I was swimming. And this is, you know, my, my, the hardest part. And this is my first Ironman. And I saw stars in the water and my goggles, you know, got knocked off my face. And it was just like this moment of pure panic. Like I'm, I was not even, I was probably less than a half mile in at this point. So I, um, the fact that I was able to shake that off and I swam actually the fastest I've ever swam, uh, that uh, an Ironman distance. Cause I swam it in the pool, you know, quite a few times before the race. And I actually, so I would say that's a proud moment, but on paper, it doesn't look like anything fancy. I swam a 123, I think, which is very a very average swim for an Ironman. But for me, that wasn't average. For me, that that took a lot of a lot of work, and then um, this ability to just decide in that moment: do not panic. You know what you're doing. You've trained for this. Put your goggles on and keep swimming. Um, so I would definitely say that moment, I don't know necessarily that the whole race is, um, but I would definitely say that was the, you know, sometimes they say, what's the first thing that came to your mind? You know, that's the best answer. That was the first thing that came to my mind. Yeah, that makes, Hey, that makes a lot of sense. Cause not only is that swim extremely difficult, but as you mentioned, it wasn't just about your physical capacity you know, you're literally getting beat up in the water. I mean, that's all of a sudden, this isn't just a solitary sport anymore. Um, this is a right. whole different ball game. And there's, you know, there's triathletes at these Ironmans who pull out of the swim every, you know, at every race. There's, it, it always right. happens to at least somebody, which is, you know, in its yeah. own way, from an athletic perspective, kind of tragic because you know this person's trained forever to be there and then they yeah. like get pulled out of the water a half mile in. But, you know, I mean, yeah, that's brutal. I mean, I, that really is brutal. You really feel for those people because it could happen to anyone. It really could. Yeah. Yeah. So, hey, last weekend, the Sean O'Brien 50 yes. mile, you, you kicked butt, Randy. Thank you so much. No, you did great. I loved reading your race recap. And I'll tell you, for a 50 mile, you know, trail race with just a boatload of elevation change, it seemed that this race almost couldn't have gone any better in terms of just how you felt throughout this race. Yeah. You know, I have to agree with you. I feel very fortunate in regards to how great I felt I'm kind of mentally. I was in the right space. Physically I was in the right space. I mean, clearly it's 50 miles. There's going to be a, some low moments and it's not like it was easy by any stretch of the means, but yeah, it went, um, very, very well. I'm very pleased with um, how things went down. I was dying laughing during your your your, your uh, race recap part one. You're like, hey, I was running next to this guy, Sean, and he was such a good guy. <laughs> yes. So hilarious. I, I'm, I'm running along, uh, you know, the first stretch of the race, and I'm catching up with this, 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 uh, this, 
guy and I introduce myself. I'm like, hi, my name's Randy. How's it going? He's like, oh, I'm Sean. And, you know, we just start chatting and I'm like, oh, have you run the course before? And he's like, yeah, I've done it a few times. Very friendly. And he's telling me about some of the steep climbs. And I'm just thinking in my mind, wow, this guy, he knows his stuff. He must have done this race a lot. And anyways, we, we chit chatted about um, random things. And I was probably, I always wonder, gosh, I'm, I, I'm sure I annoy some people because the sun was coming up and we would just crest these little mountains and we would see the Malibu mountains and the Pacific ocean and this gorgeous sunset. And I could not help myself, but like, I would just yell like these views and oh my word, isn't this amazing? Like, like that's why one of the many reasons why I love trail running so much, it's just, there's breathtaking views. And I'm just, like I said, I'm at home in the mountains. And so I just kept telling him, isn't this the best course, which is so ironic because, you know, I'm pulling into aid, the aid station at mile six and these, this, these few guys look at me and they go, Hey, that's Sean O'Brien. And I'm like, Oh, anyhow. Yeah. I had no idea I was running with, with the legendary Sean O'Brien who had created the course. Um, so it made sense that he would be able to give me some good pointers. <laughs> <laughs> that is pretty hysterical. And you know, yeah. when you're, I've never done you know, anything like this. So I'm, I'm speaking uh-huh. from a point, you know, an extreme point of naivete here, but when you're doing okay. a race like this, not only from a trail racing perspective and having the, the huge elevation change, but just the length yeah. of the race, you know, you're talking about a 10 mile, I mean, a 10 hour race. How much do you worry about your pacing as you're going along? Yeah, so pacing is a huge, huge factor. And for me, just to back up a little bit, up until this point, I had only done the 50Ks on the trail. So a 50K is not that much further than a marathon. That's 31 and some change. And when you're running a 50K on the trails, you're really using a completely different energy system. So I... I've been really lucky with my 50 Ks. I've been slightly reckless, but I've actually, I've only done a couple, but I've actually won them all being a little bit reckless. Like I've gone out a little faster than I, I thought I could, but I guess what I'm saying is what I had to learn before I did this 50 miler. And I got a lot of really great advice from some experienced ultra runners who kept warning me, who maybe know I'm a little bit, Oh, I'll be a little bit, ballsy for lack of a better word in like a 50k or a trail marathon they're like you cannot do that randy i i had sweet text messages from friends saying please don't run up the first hills like please race smart because i know you can do well and i really took their advice to heart because although i have a lot of experience on the trails and again i felt really comfortable i've run 30 miles on the trails I don't know, many, many times, whether it was for a race or OCR or just on like an unsupported training run. But that's still, I mean, that's almost 20 miles of uncharted territory for me. So pacing was a huge, huge factor going into this race. And um, so I made a game plan with my husband and and he knows that I don't always follow my game plans, (laughs) especially on the trails, because I just, I don't know why this more competitive side of me comes out. And, um, but no, yeah, pacing was a huge issue. So the entire first half of the day or the, my miles, I felt like I was going too slow. I almost, almost to the point where I I kept wanting to speed up, but there was one girl in front of me who was an extremely experienced ultra runner. And I just kept thinking if, 
I don't, I don't know that this is healthy necessarily, but I just kept thinking, who am I to go in front of her and Randy race smart? So I just kind of hung out there in the comfortable zone. And that was my race plan. My plan was play it smart, play it safe so that I don't bonk at mile 35 or 40 or 45 so that I can have a strong overall performance. And so, so yeah, pacing, um, was a huge, huge part of why I felt so good. And it definitely all day long, I kept having to remind myself like, you know, to, to be very methodical and remember my plan and be smart about my pacing. So considering that the, the, the distance of the, of the race, you know, 50 miles Mm -hmm. was so much longer Mm -hmm. than you'd raced in the past. How were you able Mm -hmm. to set out, you know, basically set up a race plan to determine what would be a proper pace? Yeah. So, um, I've been studying ultras and the way to train for them for a few, for a while now, you know, I do, um, coach and I do and I have a lot of experience as a personal trainer and coaching shorter distances so even though I'm not coaching ultras clearly I'm being a a student of the sport you know so I've been doing a lot of research and a lot talking to a lot and kind of I feel like I've been prepping for this for a long time but just with family life and with other responsibilities now I felt like it was finally reasonable and uh, enough for me to try it, if that makes sense. So in my mind, I've kind of been building, I've been prepping for it longer than I've been training for it, if that makes sense. And so um, when I decided to go for the longer distance, I actually, originally that was my A race and I was, I did not have CIM planned. CIM was a last minute plan and it kind of, you know, it showed um, and that's okay. Um, but I, I had to change my plans a little bit because I needed to, I focused on road running late in the fall when I was planning on focusing on ultras. And then I also needed to recover a little bit from that. So, so that did change my original training plans a little bit. So I opted to go for, um, a combination of volume, but also focusing on more like specificity in regards to the course so that I could be prepared for all that vertical gain. So um, my longest training run was um, about uh, 26 miles and some change, so about a marathon just unsupported on the trails around my house. Um, And a lot of people will do like two 20-mile runs back-to-back to to get that kind of that 40 mileage close together. But I really wanted to just get hours on my feet. So I did a couple – weekends where I had really long runs on Saturday with kind of moderately long runs on Friday, but that's where I would really push, um, the vertical. And so what that led me to was running, you know, 20 to 23, 24, 26 miles on tired legs. And I really feel like that helped me a ton to be ready for race day. Does that make sense? So it's running that volume on tired legs because that's essentially what you're doing when you're running an ultra you got to keep going and keep climbing on tired legs and just for you know i've I've seen your your running recaps but just for the the, for the listener's sake when you say that you want to make sure you're doing a lot of hills and elevation gain what kind of elevation gain are you talking about yeah so sean o'brien the 50 mile course and i 
you know, I apologize if I'm wrong here to the race director because there's been um, a little bit of the garments have all varied and on the race site and on the course site, it's a little bit different. So my, um, so between like 11,500 and maybe 12,200 feet of gain. So 12,000 feet of gain, um, give or take, and then also the same amount of descent. Wow. So total, total elevation change would be about 24 to 25,000 feet but half being vertical and half being descent. So what would you do? Like, so in your 26 mile unsupported training run, what would, what was your elevation change looking like? You know, I did as much as I could where we lived. So I wasn't getting, you know, nearly what I was getting on race day. Um, But I think the most I got, gosh, I I wish if I, I wish I had my training journal in front of me. I don't. But I want to say maybe like eight thousand, wow. seven to nine thousand, depending on the run and depending on if I was willing to run back up that last little peak one more time. <laughs> That's a, that is absolutely astonishing. So when you're doing that kind of incline and that kind of elevation uh-huh. change, is there any need for you in your training plan to do a lot of like tempo work or to do speed sessions? Because you must be getting a lot of kind of like the, you know, the speed work in disguise with some of these, uh, some of these elevation change runs. Absolutely. I mean, yeah, that's an interesting way to put it. Speed work in disguise. Um, because I'm not focusing on the roads right now. Uh, although I will always love to run road marathons and they'll definitely, there'll be lots more chapters of that in my life, but because my focus was the trails, I definitely wasn't concerned with speed. However, there's an important element in trail running with speed as well. And especially because I did want to do the best that I could do. Right. And even regardless of the place, I wanted to run my first 50 as fast as Randy could run her first 50. Right. And so I definitely took that into consideration. And I would say the main way that I focused on that though, was with hill repeat workouts. And so I never did intervals or tempos. I would say the last seven weeks leading up to it. But what I did do once or twice a week were some gnarly hill repeat workouts. And uh, my recovery would actually um, be at the top of the hill. And then I would actually work on my speed going down as well. Because for a lot of people, um, a lot of runners, the descent can be just as hard or harder on our joints and our ligaments and our muscles as the, as the vertical climb, as the, as, as the ascending. So, um, though, those were kind of my killer, if you will, tempo type speed type workouts I did were just hill repeats, kill the hill going up, recover for a short amount of time, and then really open up my stride and, and, and just attack the hill going down as well. I'm getting tired of just listening to you describe <laughs> this. Never mind actually going through the workout myself. Uh, this is that is pretty incredible. And you know, given your family life, it's not as if like you can do these workouts and then just sit down on the couch the rest of the day, do a little foam no rolling, way. have some water, oh just sit, kick back, relax, pop <laughs> on the Netflix, and away we go. No way, Jose. So how are you? how are you recovering from these, from these runs? Um, you know, what are you, what are you doing from a stretching and dynamic, you know, stretching and, and everything mm-hmm. involved in that. And yeah. in addition, like the nutrition side as well, since they're so interrelated. 
Sure. Yeah. They're absolutely both so important and an integral part. Like you can't make the hard workouts happen if you don't pay attention to the elements that you just brought up. So in regards to recovery, you know, you're absolutely correct. I'm always a mama first. And so I, um, no, that's not how it goes. I can't go sit down on the couch and sit my water and do my things. In fact, I really, really try to make it a priority to kind of my running time is my running time. And when I'm home and when I'm with my kids, I'm not talking about my run and thinking about my run and filling it with the rest of my day. I mean, I share such a small part of my world. It's just my running world, but really it's just this small part of my day. But yeah, I have to get those other things done. I absolutely have to. Um, and so I was very, very religious with my foam rolling through this seven week build up to Sean O'Brien. Um, you know, my little cheater tool that I have really just fallen in love with and they don't sponsor me. I'm just, is the roll recovery. I don't know if you've used that Matt, but like I can do it anywhere. I can do it when my husband's driving us to like a soccer game. I put it in my gym bag. In fact, I'm so bad. Like we have Legoland passes and I put it in my backpack at Legoland and we will be waiting in line and I do it. And my 11 year old is like, Oh my gosh, mom. That's, you know, and I'm just like, <laughs> so I just fit it in where I can. Um, so I, but I do have a stick in regular foam rollers as well with my background as a personal trainer. That's actually my education and my base background. Um, I've been a personal trainer for 13 years. I know the importance of self myofacial release, which is a foam roller. Um, sorry, I don't mean to use longer terms here, but so I definitely um, squeeze it in. A lot of times it's after my kids go to bed. It's just me pulling out the yoga mat on the hardwood floor in my room. And just, it doesn't take that long. You know, it's, it's 10 minutes really, um, or five minutes twice a day. Um, and then in regards to the other things that really help um, prevent injury, um, I did incorporate strength training twice a week into my, um, into my training for Sean O'Brien. Um, and half the time I do that in my garage, half the time at the gym, just depending on my kid's schedule, if I'm doing it at 5am or if I'm running over to the gym and putting my youngest, um, you know, in the daycare for an hour. But I did a lot of band work as well. Um, I'm a huge believer in doing the little things and all of those, those little muscle groups support our big muscles and we've got to keep them healthy and stretched if we don't want to get injured. So, um, yeah, I would say band, strength work, and rolling um, to answer your first question and just to kind of summarize. Those three things make all the difference. So, um, yeah. Well, the little you mentioned, so you mentioned it's important to do the little things. And it's funny, the, yes. the episode that I released yesterday with Tyler Underwood, uh -huh. um, who actually ran, you ran really well at CIM. You ran 218. He sure did. He's amazing. Uh, yeah. And he's like a huge proponent of doing the little things. Like he's like, you know, he, to the point on the podcast, he even mentioned like, Hey, if you are still stressed for time that you don't have 10 minutes to do, you know, like the, the hip mobility stuff and, you know, the, the other, the other exercises he mentioned that absolutely gluten hip mobility are so important yeah so he's like talking about core workouts and all that he's like if you don't have the mm -hmm. 10 minutes to do it in the morning he goes cut your run 10 minutes short he goes that's how much i believe in it i was like oh my I goodness i was surprised yeah i actually completely agree with that i fully fully agree with that got it and nutrition's a tough one everyone has their own yeah. nutrition thing and you know it's totally. like it's, it's funny it's like talking to some athletes about nutrition it's almost like talking to like 
a non-athlete about religion or politics. Like, it can get heated. Like, people have, like, such strong opinions um, on one side or another. And not that there's two sides. There's, a, there's many sides when it comes to nutrition. But what, what works for you? Yeah, I, absolutely. You're right about how heated it can get. And um, with nutrition, I am a huge believer that we are all – we all have a unique makeup. And it is vitally important as an athlete – to figure out what's like good, better, and best for your body. Does that make sense? Like what's best for me and what fuels my body for performance and helps me sleep well and recover well might not be what's best for you. Does Matt, you know, oh, you yeah, know, and absolutely. so I feel like that is, so when I'm working with people for nutrition or I'm helping myself, that's always my first thing. Like we've got to figure out what works best for your body. And so obviously like, um, that's going to vary a little bit, right. From individual to individual. But at the end of the day, uh, eating clean, real food to me is huge. And, um, having, um, a big family and being busy, like we've mentioned many times here tonight. Um, I definitely, um, have to get creative in the kitchen and creative with my time. So I do, do a lot of meal prepping on maybe Sunday nights um, and maybe one other night a week um, for, especially for me and my husband for li- like lunches um, so that I'm not always just eating bars because it, I'm so busy. Bars are great and there's some really great healthy ones out there, but they're not always real food and they don't sustain you as well or fuel you as well as getting in, you know, real vegetables and real grains and protein. Right. Right. In, in my opinion. And again, this is where we can all, we could all, you know, we can all have our own opinion here. So, um, but I love to cook. Cooking, um, is probably my other favorite thing to do besides all my running and fitness craziness. So it's a place where I'm really comfortable and I really actually enjoy being in the kitchen. And so, um, I, I don't know, would you want to, what more specifically would you like to know about nutrition? Maybe a little more specific and I'll see what I can do. Yeah. So I, I would think lunchtime, I think is, is a hard one. Say, I don't know if it, how, how other people view lunch, uh, who are listening to this, mm-hmm. but for me, that's a, that's a tough one because oftentimes that's the one in terms of my preparation. That's easy for me to like skimp on or like, Oh, I'll just get something later or like, Oh, I'll just throw something together or shoot. I'm like running late to get to work. I'll just like take anything out of the fridge and who knows what this is. I'll just eat it anyway. Um, or like, you know, like, Oh, I'm traveling today. So I will travel for work. I'll do like, you know, I am a major gift officer for a local college here in Rhode Island. So I might just be like driving through a state and I'll just be going to McDonald's for lunch or something like that. You know what I mean? So like for me, hearing how you incorporate real foods into your lunches, especially if you're preparing them a couple days in advance, I think would be, uh, would definitely provide some insight. Sure. Absolutely. So, um, I agree with you about lunches. I think that it is the hardest meal of the day to eat healthy. I really do for all of the reasons that you just listed. Um, so I would say that on, I feel like meal prep helps the most with lunch. And what I like to do is um, my favorites are, I love to roast vegetables and roast um, roast actually my carbs too. So my favorites, you know, I'll do like a great big, a couple big pans of roasted broccoli or Brussels sprouts or carrots, onions, bell peppers. I am a huge fan of vegetables. So I will, it'll change week to week, maybe depending on like what looks best at, at sprouts or what's on sale um, because we do eat a good variety of vegetables, but I always like to do 
Um, <clears throat> yeah, I always like to do a vegetable and then I'll either do sweet potatoes or brown rice. And I, I love to roast sweet potatoes in the oven. Um, and then, so I, I basically pick like a starch for me. And again, everyone's definition of healthy is different. I do really well with sweet potatoes and brown rice. Um, also, I do really well with like legumes, like lentils and beans. And so I try to do a vegetable, a starch, and then um, a protein, um, which we in our house, we mostly stick to turkey and chicken um, just because I guess that's mostly just preference. My husband and kids love seafood. I wish that I did. I don't. So I don't cook it that often, maybe like once a month. Um, so, but if you're, if you're into salmon or some great, um, sustainable lean fish options, there's lots of great options there as well. So I always say, choose a healthy, healthy carb, what I deem as healthy on a list and some vegetables and a protein. So I would say we rotate and I, you can get meal prep containers on Amazon for next to nothing and they last for a while. And it's kind of sounds like a pain, but really we put the kids to bed on Sunday and I turn on a movie or a podcast maybe your podcast sometimes. Hey, hey. And I, <laughs> I, I really do though. I, um, and I just, you know, it really, it's just an hour or two. And then, you know, you're good for a couple of days. Um, I would say we rotate between that big salads. I know that's like, you know, salads, we all get sick of salads, but I actually really enjoy them, but I just put more substance in them. Don't just do spinach and veggies, throw in nuts and seeds and grains and um, protein and fruit. And so I have a lot of fun with salads, but those you really only can make the night before. For me, mm -hmm. I feel like they get gross if I don't either make them the night before or the morning of. Um, so I would say my top three lunches are what I said with meal prep, big fun salads. And then because I have a little bit more of a flexible schedule and I can be home sometimes I will end up throwing together kind of my Randy creation type of shakes and green drinks as well. So I would say those are probably my top three lunches, but to be completely transparent, Hey, I get the whole, I'm in the car. I'm coming from the gym. I'm coming from a meeting. I'm coming from volunteering at my kid's school and I'm in a hurry and I'm trying to pick up my youngest. And I always, always, always have a bar and a piece of fruit and nuts in my purse because then I don't have to go to El Pollo Loco because, Hey, I like El Pollo Loco. Who doesn't? <laughs> then I, who doesn't? Okay. Then that in and out that's really close to the Y that I go to around lunchtime every day. I can resist, right? And so that is always my backup suggestion. Like, don't give yourself an out to make McDonald's okay. Like, yeah, there's a time and a place for, for anything in a healthy diet. And so if McDonald's is your jam, yeah, you can, you can figure out how to have that occasionally in a healthy diet. That's what I think. I think a balanced, healthy diet can have anything as long as it's not, you know, something that you're allergic to or that's making you sick. Um, so, yeah, but so I always recommend have kind of an emergency backup snack always in your glove box or your or your – or your briefcase or, you know, your purse, you know, whatever, or your gym bag, but just keep an emergency stash for when like post-workout you, you crash, you know what I mean? So you don't have to crash. It's so true. I, I completely agree. And when I don't have that, that's when I go off the rails. That, that is literally like the drive home from work. If I didn't have like almonds in my office or what I used, what I was doing before I started getting really cold was I would just take, you know, like a health food bar, like a health warrior bar, or, you know, one of the Trader Joe's bars or whatever. 
you yeah. know, any, any, any yeah. segment of that, that whole group. So I would just take one of those right. bars. I literally just put it in my cup holder. So I wouldn't like, yeah, so I would be tempted to eat it during the work day. So I, that was another thing I learned is like, if I take it <laughs> into work, that thing is gone before nine thirty. So I need to like, just right. leave it in my car. Um, yeah. It doesn't work as well now. Cause it just freezes. And then I'm just like going to chip a tooth yeah. on that sucker. But um, yeah, totally. They do. They do freeze. So uh, no, let me just say, Randy, thank you so much for all the time. I really appreciate it. Um, this has been just so fascinating and so much fun. So I really appreciate you coming on the podcast. And, um, you know, we'll put all of your your you know, your Instagram handles and any way to get a hold of you um, in the show notes. So I'll make sure that if anyone wants to stay in touch with you or learn more, they can do that. Um, and at this time, as you know, you've listened to the podcast. I want to finish up with a couple of quick questions before we get out of here. Let's do it. All right. So if you're going on your run, are you wearing headphones or no headphones? I'm both. I would say probably 60, 40, 60 to headphones, 40 to nothing. All right. And when, when you got, when you have them in, what are you listening to? Um, I love music, all sorts of music besides, um, you know, I would say most commonly, like I love Imagine Dragons and X Ambassadors, but I also love radio hits as long as they're clean. I, I'm not, um, you know, I'm a, I'm a mom of four over here, <laughs> but I also love like classic rock and oldies. So sometimes I might turn like Pandora Fleetwood Mac radio on. So I actually listen to quite a big variety. Um, so yeah, I would say a little bit of everything. All right. That's great. Sorry. Right, so if you have, if you could only one run one more race the rest of your life, uh, but you could run it every year, what race would that be? Uh, you know what? I, when I listened to your first podcast and I heard that, I was like, oh, that's so mean. That's a horrible question, but a good one. And I'm going to have to go, I'm going to have to go with the Boston Marathon. It's just magical. That's great. See, it's so funny. I didn't think you were going to say that. Especially someone who loves trail running so much. 2018, as you put it, is the year of the ultras. You're going to be doing all these races. I didn't expect you to go Boston Marathon. What was, what if. So yeah, I could backpedal it, but I've. I haven't done, maybe if I had done one of like the epic, you know, ultra courses yet that are on my like massive bucket list, maybe, maybe ask me again in five years as friends, you know, but right now I feel like that's the most magical race I've experienced. It's just special. It really is. All right. So then you know what's coming next. What is, what race on your bucket list are you most excited to check off? Okay. Um... This is a hard one. These are all going to be ultras for me, Matt. So I would either go with like Western States or Leadville um, or maybe UTMB in France. Um, I could go on and on. So I'll cut it off there. The, the biggies, the big ultras, they're, they're on my mind. They're in my sights. Right. UTMB is just, that's, that's just a, that's a whole different ball game, right? This is, it's multi-day race it depends on the race okay um there is like classic distance there is stage races but what i'm most interested in is like just the the hundred miler i I can't remember again i'm still if it's 100k or 100 miler if they have both because there's like there's a couple different options but getting there in some way shape or form would just be uh you know i just got back from a trip to france and ran in the pyrenees and i'm just like yeah i gotta do that so yeah that's definitely Definitely. My sights are there. I've, this has been, I've done two interviews this week where that's been the answer. 
Oh, nice. Yeah, two Love two it. UTMBs this week. That 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 is amazing. All right, that's wonderful. All right, so listening to you, you know, you you motivate me as a runner. Like just listening to you talk about what you're able to do, um, not only from a racing perspective, but even more so from a training perspective. Just the the day to day, getting it done. Uh, and balancing it with the rest of your life, I think it's just awesome. But for you, who motivates you as a runner? So a runner or just, I, I would just say my family. They are they are my everything. And, um, and just, I guess, that's what motivates me, to try to, to continue to do what I love and what I feel is a part of me and include them along in the journey, but while making sure that they're the priority. So I would just say my family. Okay. Then who's your ideal running partner? You can't say family on this one. Oh, you're such a punk. <laughs> I was going to say my husband because I just, I, I love to run with him. That's how we, we fell in love being crazy and running. So, oh, well, that's um, a great answer. Here I am. I can't take that away from you. That's a great answer. Yeah. Yeah. At the end of the day, you know, we have to divide and conquer, but but it's we fell in love that way, sharing our love for we actually fell in love training for a triathlon that we never did, which is hilarious. But anyway, so yeah, I gotta I gotta just overrule you there and say Graham Orm. <laughs> Graham Orm. All right, that's wonderful. All right, that's that's great. Thank you so much for coming on, Randy. I really appreciate it. Hey, thank you for having me. And I know that I'm long-winded, so um, way to hang in there with all of my rambling. So thank you, Matt. It's really been a pleasure to chat with you tonight. Well, hence the name of the podcast. Well, good luck with all of your running in 2018. <laughs> thank you. Have a good night. You too.